Kia ora and welcome to Jules from NZ, a weekly podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Kia ora, tēnā koutou katoa. Hello and welcome back to all of you to Jules from NZ. Kete koto. How are you all? Me? Kete pai. I am good. So, I know I'm a bit late to the Halloween party, but I do have some spooky stories that I was collecting for you, so I've decided to just share them with you anyway. And these spooky stories are from none other than around my very own city here in New Zealand, the capital city of Wellington. So, I'm going to take you on a tour of some of our most haunted locations and I'm absolutely certain it's going to be a thrilling ride. So let's go! So first stop on our haunted locations tour is Inverlochy House, a historic building and art school here in Wellington named after a 13th century Scottish castle. The Victorian mansion was designed by local architect Thomas Turnbull and was originally built for the Wellingtonian councillor Kennedy MacDonald and his family between 1877 and 1878 using mainly local timbers and it was described as an unrivaled family residence having 14 rooms, two bathrooms and pretty much every modern convenience meaning modern for the time. But there are several reports of tragic circumstances surrounding this now art school. A young woman apparently died in a fire in one of the rooms in the 1920s, and certainly the walls in the print studio do show signs of a past fire. There is also some evidence that a young child drowned in one of the fountains at the front of the building around this period, and in 1999, a young man was sadly beaten to death in the lane in front of the building. When the haunting exactly started, or who the ghost exactly is, nobody is sure. In most cases, it's not actually a ghost that's been seen, but rather objects that move by themselves. Janitors and caretakers have many stories about doors slamming shut and vases moving uh, and um, art supplies switching sides of the room. Uh, all sorts of different stories. However, there has been at least one report of a person seeing the ghost of a young woman, possibly wearing Victorian-style servant's clothing, on the first floor landing outside the print studio. This unknown woman is often credited as being the spirit which haunts the building. But what is certain is that if the house is haunted, it seems a fairly benevolent spirit and potentially an art lover. Speaking of the arts, let's continue our tour. Next up is St. James Theatre. There are numerous ghost stories reported to haunt this beautifully kept and much-loved iconic theatre. The St. James Theatre was actually opened on Boxing Day 1912, and during the theatre's first months, it was used primarily to play silent movies. It was later adapted to present live performances as well. There are a few hauntings at the theatre, The strangest one is the talk of an entire boys' choir 
also said to haunt the theatre. The current story regarding this is that the choir played their last song at the St. James Theatre during the Second World War before heading off on tour by boat, but no more was ever heard from the boys again. The sheep, the sheep, the ship never reaching its destination. Staff often hear the music emanating up from the stands, but when they go to investigate which seat the music is coming from, it seems to move around the theatre. Spooky. The alleged ghost of Stan Andrews is also supposed to be residing within the theatre and is heard wheezing as he walks around backstage corridors during performances. An unknown tall, thin man aged about 30 has been seen in the theatre numerous times outside of performance times. One of the more regular sightings is the ghost of Yuri, a Russian performer who supposedly fell or jumped from the fly floor above the stage to his death. Although another claim is that he was pushed by another Russian performer, an actress named Pasha. She was never charged, no conviction on that, but there is rumours. It is said that Yuri was infatuated with one of the dancers, who avoided his advances in favour of a theatre electrician. Now, it's not known whether he committed suicide out of despair from rejection, was pushed, or simply fell accidentally. But what is known is that Yuri has been encountered playing with the lights, in particular switching them all back on again once the theatre has been locked up for the night. And a theatre projectionist reckons Yuri has saved his life twice while working in the theatre. While searching for the light switch one night, when the lights suddenly went out in the auditorium, the man claims he was pushed backwards by what he believed was Yuri. When the lights turned back on, it was then that he realised he was standing only inches from the deep orchestra pit, and if not pushed back, would have fallen in, causing serious injury, maybe even death. Another incident was when that same man was standing on stage with his infant son. Suddenly a beam overhead collapsed and fell, and the projectionist was pushed backwards by an unseen force yet again, with his son carried about three metres through the air, and the man firmly believes it was Yuri that saved them that evening. And if that's not spooky enough, the last and spookiest haunting of the St. James is the Wailing Woman a frequent apparition who is said to wail and moan in the dark of the night. The story goes that the woman, a struggling actress, was booed off stage one night. She took it hard and committed suicide that night by slitting her wrists. It is thought that it is her ghost that causes many of the unfortunate accidents and mishaps around the theatre as vengeance for her suffering. Other actresses have suffered sprained ankles, falls from ladders and steps, sudden colds and throat infections, rendering them unable to perform or sing properly at all. And of course it would be her that would do it. Now if that is not enough to sway you, maybe this next thing is. Even prolific filmmaker Peter Jackson has had made claims of encountering the mysterious Wailing Woman. Many years ago, standing at the foot of his bed in the apartment which is situated across from the St. James. Frankly, if Peter Jackson says it's true, I believe it, and I'm always a little freaked out in there. And the reason why there is so much paranormal activity at the theatre is disputed, although there have been claims that the old Coral Hall was built on cemetery or burial ground. This claim has never been proven, though, but with that many ghosts, what do you think? 
And if one haunted theatre wasn't enough, the next stop on our list is the Opera House. Of course it has its own ghost. What Opera House wouldn't be complete without a ghost, you know? It was built in 1913, has a seating capacity of 2,141 and three levels of stalls, dress circle and gallery, including its 50 box sets. It's quite beautiful and grand with ornate designs and was actually used for the theatre scenes in Peter Jackson's 2005 film King Kong. But it's not haunted by a giant ape. Nope, it's said to be haunted by its former architect, Albert Liddy, a renowned local who prided himself on his stage design skills. It was he who designed the theatre's stage. However, it is told that his plans did not coincide with the other architect of the Opera House, and Liddy committed suicide inside the Opera House. The common story went that he hung himself after a problem with the building, but in reality, facts say that he died in the theatre in one of the seating boxes to the side of the stage after shooting himself with a shotgun. A little bit more gory. Afterwards, three terrible accidents occurred where people sustained injury over six months in the exact same place. There have also been reports of people seeing a man running across the gallery on numerous occasions. That's a good enough reason to not sit in box seats, if you ask me. Makes me feel better about not being able to afford them in the first place. So it's not a good haunted places list without a spooky jail with ghastly torture. And this is a good haunted place list. So our next place on the tour is Tiara School. Yeah, school. Which, although sometimes for most of you it probably feels like jail, was actually a former jail. <laughs> I nearly had you going, right? Uh, the place where Tiaro School now stands on the terrace was once one of Wellington's first jails and held some of the region's most notorious criminals. Like nine-year-old John Thomas Reed, who'd been imprisoned for a week for stealing. And on the evening of April 7th, 1876, the Chief Justice ordered a flogging as part of his punishment, and he screamed and wailed as 30 lashes of the birch stung his flesh. Okay, so maybe not him, but many were hung here. Ghoulish Wellington citizens had earlier climbed nearby hills for a good view of Brocher's hanging, Brocher being the main... Uh, hanging guy? Uh, I forget what they're called. Uh, the guy who did all the hanging, and he was pretty creepy about it. He was very proud of his work. But um, because so many people wanted to come watch him, forcing that forced the prison authorities to hide the gallows with tarpaulins, making it even more kind of creepy to be hung there. The last man to hang at the prison was the heinous Daniel Richard Cooper, on June 16, 1923, Cooper's murdering of newborn babies led him to being compared to the Winton baby farmer, Millie Dean, the only woman ever hanged in New Zealand. Dean went to the gallows in 1898, professing innocence, unlike Cooper, who had admitted his guilt proudly and then repented before God, because that makes it all better. Uh, Tiaro's school main block, built in 1931, now occupies the land at the terrace southern end, where the prison buildings once stood, and is frequently described as a place with bad feelings, dark shadows, and ghostly figures. Not a nice place to hang out in after dark, that's for sure. 
from one school to another. Now we're headed to Erskine College in Island Bay. Built in 1905 to 1906 by the Society of the Sacred Heart, it was named after one of the Mother Superiors. Nearly 3,000 girls were educated at the school before it closed as a girls' school in 1985. It was listed as a historic place by the New Zealand's Historic Places Trust, merely a designation rather than a promise, it seems. A couple of proposals for a second act were briefly entertained, especially for the chapel, which had a deconsecrated afterlife. The company hosted weddings and receptions in the chapel, and it was beautiful. French Gothic architecture with German stained glass windows, Italian marble altar, and vaulted ceilings. Doesn't it sound beautiful? The building also was done in a creepy Gothic uh, out external manner and in fact Erskine was used in Peter Jackson's 1996 horror comedy movie The Frighteners which starred Michael J Fox of course. This building was not only out of the way though it posed an earthquake risk and that is a death knell these days. Now I know I keep using the past tense despite its movie star life it was demolished and it's a real shame it wasn't able to be saved frankly. However, the chapel has had a $7 million restoration, and there are apartments going up nearby where the school once stood. So, with this new life, is the place still haunted? Well, there are plenty of rumours, and theories abound about the place. Apparitions have been witnessed, voices are heard, fleeting shadows are glimpsed, odd bangs and taps can be heard. Mediums have spoken of the building being haunted by both children and adults, and some firmly believe that Erskine is haunted by the old Mother Superior. And there are rumours about a mysterious blood stain on the chapel floor that allegedly reappears soon after being removed, apparently as a reminder of a young girl's untimely passing in the chapel itself. But if that's not spooky enough for you, return to the Frighteners movie to see the school for yourself. They didn't even need to dress the set. Spooky. Speaking of dressing, it's time to visit the hospital. Mount Victoria's former fever hospital, to be exact. The former Wellington Fever Hospital was designed in 1917 and completed for opening in 1920 to look after patients with infectious diseases and is a rare surviving example of an isolation hospital situated where it is high up on a hill away from the hustle and bustle of population. The hospital has undergone a few name changes through the year. New Fever Hospital, Upper Fever Hospital, Scarlet Fever Block, the Infectious Diseases Hospital and the Chest Hospital. The hospital was built between 1918 and 1920 for use to treat patients with infectious diseases. Most of those that were treated had tuberculosis. Also, during World War I, the hospital was used to treat the returning soldiers who had influenza. Over 700 were killed by it in the Wellington region alone. A place of illness and misery, a hotbed for ghostly activity if ever I saw one. Through the years, there have been numerous reports of activities experienced within the hospital, and in fact, it's had at least two different paranormal investigating uh, TV shows or web series or whatever they are through it, uh, analyzing these, these claims. 
glowing orbs, apparitions of soldiers, a woman in a flowing gown, people walking the corridors, footsteps, doors slamming, children running and playing, voices heard calling out or talking, and objects moving around. And in fact, one of the uh, one of the clips I watched, um, they captured the word fiend being said on one of those like voice recorders so creepy but the most common ghost story is of a head nurse called sister slippers who at night would walk the wards in her slippers hence the name the footwear footwear that she wore would give notice of her ward rounds this would occur hourly on the hour every night she would shine her torch, checking on the patients and the staff, and she walks the wards still, forever checking for those out of bed that aren't supposed to be, so you better not be caught up there at night. The hospital closed in 1981 and was soon taken up residency by the Wellington City Council as the School of Music. But due to the deterioration through the years, the building was seen unfit to be utilised, but had enough historical significance to be repurposed. For a few years, the building sat abandoned and unloved before being snapped up and given new life by the SPCA in 2013 as an animal clinic and pet adoption centre. The main building has seen a full refurbishment and has been a work in progress through the years with new additions and improvements every year. Due to severe decay and timber deterioration rendering it unsafe for entry or usage, the West Wing, originally the Fever Hospital's nurses' quarters, still sits locked up and off-limits to the public, vacant, dusty and unable to be utilised. Perfectly spooky and well-fed in Wellington. It's time to tell you a little story that is less about ghosts and more about deaths as we visit the Macra coastline. The sleepy settlement at Macra Beach is 16 kilometres northwest of Wellington, where steep hills and cliffs flank a stony beach. It's an inhospitable coastline with jagged rocks and little protection from the notorious northerly winds. The Wellington coastline was about as far away as you can get from Nazi Germany, but that didn't stop enthusiastic volunteers from signing up to defend these shores just in case. In fact, back then, unknown to the new recruits, there were actually genuine threats approaching the New Zealand waters. German surface raiders were on the hunt in the South Pacific. They laid minefields off the Hauraki Gulf, which sunk two vessels, and later had also laid minefields at the entrances of both Wellington and Littleton. The soldiers prepared for a war that didn't actually come to the shores. However, there were skirmishes with our own people as anxious shoulders anxious. There were skirmishes with our own people as anxious soldiers. Why is that so hard to say? Got edgy while they waited. It's now littered with the past and our own fears. The last stop on our haunted tour of Wellington is the Mount Victoria Tunnel. I saved this for the last story as it's my personal favourite because it has such strong superstition for all Wellingtonians and it's such fun. But first some facts. The tunnel is 623 metres long and was opened in 1931. Around 45,000 vehicles pass through Mount Victoria each day. The tunnel also accommodates 
pedestrians and cyclists who use an elevated ramp on the north side of the roadway. So it's a really busy tunnel, being one of the main routes from the city to the airport. But it's not the traffic that's terrifying. Although the queue is when you're running light for, you know, catching a flight. Nope, it's a young girl and a real-life tragedy that makes the tunnel so well-known. Phyllis Simmons was 17 and pregnant. Her boyfriend, George Errol Coates, was 29, a widower and father to six children already. He worked the tunnels while Phyllis tried to make a life on the little money that they had. They fought... What exactly, wet belt, we aren't sure, but it's easy to guess, and she disappeared. Only she didn't. They found her dead and buried in the tunnel. As they uncovered her body, they found her hand not far from breaking the surface as she had tried valiantly to claw her way through the earth as it covered her. That's right, her boyfriend buried her alive in the tunnel. Her body was removed from the tunnel and buried at the Karori Cemetery before the tunnel was opened in 1931. So what's fun about that? Nothing. That's terrible. What's fun is how stories turn into traditions. In this case, the tradition of motorists beeping their horns as they drive through Mount Victoria has become a citywide superstition. Or just... Or... Any of those are very common to be heard coming through the tunnel. And it's also proved divisive. Many residents believe a jaunty toot, or for some, blasting their horns for the entire tunnel's 623 metre length, which actually is kind of annoying, uh, either wards off evil spirits or acknowledges the memory of that poor murdered teenage girl. But others think the sound is completely and utterly obnoxious. In January of 2019, I think it was, I can't remember, no, might have been longer back actually, Chris Calvey Freeman, the then Wellington City Councillor, suggested signs should be placed on either side of the tunnel, advising motorists to not sound their horns to avoid annoying pedestrians who have to share the passage. And it is kind of annoying being a pedestrian walking through there and having all the horns, but you just know and you know to put headphones in. So the council has attempted honking ban, which has so far proved unsuccessful, sparked a massive backlash with one Wellingtonian attempting to organise local drivers into a world record attempt for tunnel tooting. But that's also so far been without success. But it has been interesting to watch. So there you have it. A spooky tour around Wellington's most haunted places. And if you do ever come to New Zealand and happen to come to Wellington, I will make sure to take you through these tunnels, tooting away and point out all of these sites as you as you see them. Personal thanks to everybody listening. All of my sparkly gems as well. I could not do this without the listeners that I have and the gems that support Um, With machete-wielding, Trump-supporting crazies in my house and PC problems continuing, yep, it did it again. This will be the third time I have to take it to the shop, the same computer, within a couple of months. Life has been pretty crazy 
Uh, but I also have had some amazing D&D experiences recently with attending and running D&D at conventions, um, having created brand new horror homebrews and new one shots for the podcast. And I can't wait to tell you all about it soon and how much I've learned about running different monsters and different encounters. So that will be the next Glitter episode. Uh, the next Jules from NZ episode is back to regular transmission. Finally, giving you everything you want to know about New Zealand's top tourist town, Queenstown, and telling you a little bit about the election and referendum results here, which are a little less interesting than the American elections, but I'm kind of okay with that being pretty chill because it looks like a little bit too much interesting over there. So if you're enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on your platform of choice. It really all helps. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to follow my various adventures. And you'll find me there on J-U-L-Z-B-U-R-G-I-S-S-E-R. That's Jules Bergeser. So for now, enohora, ka kite ano, aroha nui. Goodbye. I'll see you next time. <laughs>